Matthew chapter 9, and in verse number 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. That's what we're going to be talking about here today. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. It's interesting how he uses the analogy in verse 36 of some wandering lost sheep, and then he switches gears to a harvest-type thing. Jesus was always good at reaching people at their level, and the people that he was speaking to, they understood sheep, they understood harvest. But the thing that needs to be focused on in this passage here is the compassion of the Lord. And no matter what you relate to or no matter where you're at, uh, it is important that we understand just how compassionate that the Lord Jesus Christ is. So I want to talk to you this morning on the compassion of Jesus. Father, we pray that you'd bless your word here today. Give us your grace and your strength and your wisdom, and may the word of God go forth with your anointing. May it be received, Lord, uh, with your help and uh, help hearts and comfort hearts here tonight or this morning. But I pray also if anyone is not saved that you would save them and help them to understand who Jesus is and how much that you want to save them. Uh, Just bless this time together that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. When I think about the compassion of Jesus as he looked out on the multitude, I'm reminded that Christians are not perfect people. They're lost sheep who have a perfect shepherd. Uh, Or rather, maybe I should say that we were found by a perfect shepherd. A poem I ran across here recently, a lady wrote this in the 1980s, and it's entitled, When I Say I Am a Christian. When I say I am a Christian, I'm shouting, I've been saved. Uh, excuse me, when I say I am a Christian, I'm not shouting, I've been saved, I'm whispering, I get lost. That's why I chose this way. When I say I am a Christian, I don't speak with human pride. I'm confessing that I stumble, needing God to be my guide. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and pray for strength to carry on. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting that I've failed and cannot ever pay the debt. When I say I am a Christian, I don't think I know it all. I submit to my confusion, asking humbly to be taught. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I am a Christian, I still feel the sting of sin, excuse me, the sting of pain. I have my share of heartache, which is why I seek his name. When I say I am a Christian, I do not wish to judge. I have no authority. I only know that I am loved. Compassion is a natural human characteristic that comes from our creator. It's not natural in us without 
it coming from our God. And just like all natural affection, it is waning in these last days. The Bible said that in the last days that natural affection would begin to wane. And we see that. There's not a whole lot of compassion in our culture here today. We find a lot of victimhood. We find a lot of pity, but we don't find a whole lot of compassion. The word comes from the Latin prefix com, C-O-M, meaning together, and the other Latin word passio, which means to suffer. And so together, when we have compassion, we are suffering with those that are suffering. Practically, the word is a feeling that is accompanied by an action. If we have the feeling without the action, we would refer to that as pity. I know I I jokingly sometimes when somebody tells me the things that they're going through and I have I can't help them I can't fix it for them but I feel for them uh, I will pull out what I call the big guns and I'll say bless your heart and we all know what that means it means it stinks for you and I'm glad that I'm not in your shoes <laughs> bless your heart some of you are probably saying preacher bless your heart. <laughs> Well, the first thing that I want to talk about is Jesus' compassion on the weak and the wandering. We read about it in verse number 36 here. He had compassion on the multitude. He saw them not as a crowd, but he saw them as individuals that uh, are wandering and they're fainting. He was worried that they would faint because they have no shepherd and they are scattered abroad. Uh, Would you say honestly that maybe that idea would describe your life, that you are weak and wandering. I know a lot of times as humans, we put on a pretty good front. We put on a good air, but when we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we realize that, hey, uh, I'm glad that the Lord has compassion on me because that's really me. I'm just weak and wandering. Many years ago in St. Louis, a lawyer visited a Christian to transact some business. Before the two parted, his client said to him, I've often wanted to ask you a question, but I've been afraid to do so. What do you want to know, asked the lawyer. The man replied, I've wondered why you're not a Christian. The man hung his head. I know enough about the Bible to realize that it says no drunkard can enter the kingdom of God, and you know my weakness. You're avoiding my question, he said. Well, truthfully, I can't recall anyone ever explaining how to become a Christian. Picking up a Bible, the client read some passages showing that all are under condemnation, but that Christ came to save the lost by dying on the cross for their sins. By receiving him as your substitute and redeemer, he said, you can be forgiven if you're willing to receive Jesus. Would you like to pray together? The lawyer agreed, and when it was his turn, he exclaimed, O Jesus, I am a slave to drink. One of your servants has shown me how to be saved. O God, forgive my sins and help me overcome the power of this terrible habit in my life. And right there, that lawyer was converted. Many of you know the name of this lawyer. His name was C.I. Schofield, and I have a Schofield study Bible right here on this pulpit, and That is the testimony of how the man who studied and came up with all of these notes and was a great Bible student, and that's how he came to uh, become a Christian. First, he had to recognize that he was weak, 
and that he was wandering. Secondly, if you take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 14, just a few pages over, I want to say that Jesus has compassion on the needy. In Matthew chapter 14, if you'll look with me at verse number 13, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place. The time is now past, and the mul- send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give ye them to eat. Jesus here is having compassion on the needs of this multitude. If you look at chapter 15 and verse number 32, it says, Furthermore, then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. I think about how that Jesus in his earthly ministry, he traveled around through Galilee and Capernaum and down to Jerusalem and all the different places that Jesus went. He did a lot of healing and he met a lot of needs. He fed the multitude at times. He would cast out devils at time. Jesus met a lot of needs among the people. But we can see that Jesus did not meet all the needs of all the people. And you know, sometimes we need to realize that Jesus is not going to meet all of our needs. He's going to meet the needs that matter the most. And the thing that limits him meeting our needs, and performing these miracles in our life, it all comes down to our faith. In Matthew 13, verse 57, it says, They were offended in him, but Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, the, the, the family of Jesus and the neighbors of Jesus, the people who knew him, They saw him grow up. Wouldn't you agree that they knew far more about Jesus than you and I do? They knew what he looked like. They knew what his voice sounded like. They knew what his daily routine was. You know, we assume that Jesus helped his father Joseph in the carpentry shop. That's an assumption. We don't know that. I, I, You know, I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, that is a probability, but then There's also a possibility that perhaps maybe Jesus did not make anything. Can you imagine what people would do if they ever found something? I'm a woodworker and I, and I like to make things and I I like to, when things turn out well, I like to admire them and I like it when other people appreciate and admire that handiwork. Can you imagine if somebody would say I, they possessed a, piece of furniture or something that was actually made by the hands of Jesus Christ? I think there's a possibility that Jesus might have said, you know what, I'm going to avoid the possibility of me producing anything that man's just going to turn into an idol. I don't know. I'm just talking off the top of my head about things that I've thought about. We assume that he, that, you know, he had a, a certain 
stature and appearance. When you walk through the multitude of people, sometimes you recognize someone before you can ever see their face. You can recognize their stature. You know, some people stand very upright. Some people have a head that's just a little bit forward of their shoulders. And some people are are big, and then others are really, really thin like me. When I'm at the carnival looking at those weird mirrors, right? The people who grew up around Jesus knew way more about him than you and I. But he didn't heal. He didn't do anything for them. Why? Because they lacked faith. They knew him according to the flesh. But what we have is far greater. We know him as the creator, the son of God, the one who died on the cross for our sins and rose again the third day. I think that we should all be able to say that he's more real to us than he ever was the people who grew up with him in his earthly neighborhood there in Nazareth, the people who actually heard him talk and preach and even saw some of those miracles. He is more real to us because we know him in a far more intimate way if we are truly born-again Christians. Jesus won't meet all of the needs of all of the people, but the only thing that limits him is our faith. Contrasting this with the woman who simply reached out and touched the hem of his garment, and she was made whole. Jesus didn't even know that she was around. He didn't acknowledge her. Her faith reached out and believed in who he was, and that compassion for him to heal her was without even him making a conscious decision. I don't know about you, but that ought to encourage your heart that Jesus can indeed be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is a meter of your needs, and he has compassion on every need that you have. Number three, I want to talk about Jesus' compassion on the blind. Look at Matthew chapter number 20. Matthew chapter number 20. Vision is generally regarded as the most valuable of the senses. While physical blindness would be a horrible thing, it is nothing compared to spiritual blindness. We read here in Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. The multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. It would be a horrible thing to be physically blind, but not nearly as horrible as to be spiritually blind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4, Paul said, In whom the God of this world, that's the devil, by the way, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I'm often perplexed sometimes when you see people whose lives are wrecked by sin, and sin has had its 
natural destructive effect in their life, and you present to them the solution, how that Jesus Christ will save you and forgive you and transform your life and give you a home in heaven, why would anybody say, no, I'm not interested in that message? It's insanity. Why would they do that? Well, the scripture says it's because the devil has blinded their minds. The same way that I lived in my teenage years, all through high school, and I was spiritually blinded. Satan had my mind under his grasp and control. Bitterness had opened up the door to him, and I had allowed him to influence me. And then he started presenting to me all of the pleasures of this world and sin, and all of those things had a hardening effect upon my heart. And if it were not for Jesus passing by in my life and having compassion on me and touching my eyes and giving me that sight so that I could see myself for what I really am, I would still be blind here today. pastor told the following story. In my church secretary's office, there hangs a modernistic picture composed of a maze of colors and shapes. I realized these sophisticated, modern, and abstract pictures were supposed to contain some profound artistic or philosophical message, but I never was able to figure it out. It just looked like a jumbled mass of confusion. If there was a message there, he said I was blind to it. One day while I was standing in the office waiting for the copier to warm up, one of the kindergarten boys from the church, Adam, stood beside me and said, Do you see what I see? I sure don't, said the pastor. Adam looked at me with glee in his eye. Pastor, can't you see him? It's Jesus hanging on the cross. I stared as hard as I could. I wanted to believe Adam, but I couldn't see Jesus anywhere. Adam, I'm sorry, but I must be blind. You have to, you're going to have to help me see. Directing his finger to a massive color in the center of the picture, Adam said, There, pastor, do you see what I see? There is Jesus, his face, his arms outstretched on the cross. And then, like an epiphany, the image began to appear. Yes, there hidden somehow behind the colors and the shapes was the barely visible image of Jesus hanging with arms outstretched on the cross. It's amazing, Adam. You have helped one blind pastor to see Jesus. Yes, I can see what you see, Adam. That's exactly what happens in our hearts and lives when we don't see Jesus. And Jesus is right there all the time presenting himself. And oh, that we would respond to Jesus' compassion as he touches our eyes and opens up our spiritual understanding that we might become saved. Number four. Jesus' compassion on the defiled. In Mark chapter number 1, there's a passage here and there's a statement that really means a lot to me. I've shared this with you before that I went through a period of my life shortly after I repented and got right with the Lord. I was 20 years old and I went through a period of doubting my salvation and I, I never doubted Jesus I never doubted what he did. It wasn't to me an issue of eternal security. It was an issue of doubting my own heart. And this verse or this passage meant a whole lot to me. In Mark chapter 1 and verse number 40, it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, 
Thou canst make me clean. That's how I felt when I was doubting my salvation. Lord, if you will, I know you can cleanse me. I was very aware of the wickedness that I had just not too long ago been living in. And I mean, the devil reminded me of it continually. My conscience reminded me. I said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And notice in verse 41, and Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I have this circled in my Bible. I will be thou clean. I will be thou clean. Leprosy was the worst defilement in Hebrew culture. It was an uncleanness. It was highly contagious. And those who were infected by it were considered outcasts. I don't want to be an outcast from heaven. And I'm so glad that I have been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He's cleansed my sins. The problem with people today is that they are unclean and they don't know it. They've gotten so used to the stench of sin. They've gotten so used to that filthiness that's around them that they don't even see it. They, they're filthy themselves. They hang around filthy people and they're just so used to it that they don't recognize it. The Bible makes it clear that all men are sinners. Most men acknowledge this to be so, but always in a general sense. This leper here recognized it in a personal sense. He didn't say, Lord, I'm one of many lepers that are unclean. He said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He recognized his own uncleanness. He didn't demand for cleansing as a victim, but in his self-awareness, he hoped for it by faith. Lord, I know you can do it. I just pray that you will. In 2 Peter 3, in verse number 9, the Bible tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Watch this, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, God can save you, but God wants to save you. The deciding factor is all with you. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. If you'll come to the Lord with that kind of a heart, the Lord will come to you with the same compassion that he did this leper, and he will say, I will be thou clean. The precious blood of Jesus Christ is available for everyone's avail in order to be cleansed from not only the penalty of our sin, but the defilement, the filthiness of that sin in our life. And my last point, number five, is Jesus' compassion on the grieving. Turn to Luke chapter number 7. People grieve today. A lot of grief in this world. Sometimes it's from the loss of a loved one. Sometimes it's a grief from the loss of a relationship or the loss of reputation or uh, the loss of a friendship. There's just all kinds of things that people grieve over today. Sometimes it's from something that has been done to us or said about us, and all of that causes a grief in our heart. We read in Luke chapter 7 and verse number 12, now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Much people of the city was with her. I, I can't imagine what I mean, this, this woman had already lost her husband, and I cannot imagine how 
painful that it would be to lose a spouse, and many of you can. And then, but even uh, as great, if not greater than that, is the loss of a child. And this appears to me to be a grown child, not a little baby, but a grown child. And I think that every parent, uh, no parent wants to bury their children. They want their children to bury them. And Jesus came by here, and here is this widow that's lost her son, and she's grieving. And listen, I, I guarantee you that there's probably only a handful of people here in the sound of my voice that can even remotely relate to what this woman's going through. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the beer. That's the, the, the thing they were carrying the body in. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak and he delivered him to his mother. Do you have a broken heart today? Do you have grief that is, you're carrying it in your bosom? I I know many people that have carried grief for a long, long time. And you've carried that grief so long that it's almost a security to you. And you wouldn't even know how to feel. You wouldn't know how to act or behave if the Lord came along and took that grief away from you. Now here in this situation, this was a... This was a special miracle that Jesus did here on this earth. He brought this woman's son back to life right there. I can remember uh, some of the times that I've grieved over loved ones and I've looked at their body there in the casket and I have wished, Oh Lord, if you would perform a miracle, I would love to have them back in my life. I don't want to go the rest of my life without this loved one and how the hurt and the grief. And you know, the Lord didn't answer that prayer for me and He's not going to answer that prayer for you. Not here and now. But if that loved one knows Jesus Christ as Savior, that grief will one day turn into joy. Weeping may endure for the night or another night or another night, but praise the Lord, joy does come in the morning. And thank God for that Bible truth. Does your heart have a, is your heart broken today? Well, Jesus cares. He has compassion. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7, the Bible says that we can cast all of our care upon Him, for He careth for you. If you ever feel like nobody cares and nobody understands, you're wrong. Your emotions are playing a trick on you. Uh, sometimes people don't care. And more often than not, in fact, almost at all times, people don't understand. Listen, I, 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 the Lord has compassion. The best that I can do for you here this morning is to tell you that Jesus has compassion on you. I want to have compassion on each and every one, and I try to have compassion, and many times I do have compassion, but my compassion is limited because you're looking at a man that's trying to care for you and your problems, and he's got his own problems. But I can tell you about someone who always cares and always understands, and it's Jesus Christ. And I count it a joy and a privilege to be able to say that to you here this morning. 
In conclusion, I'd like to draw your attention to Mark chapter 5 and verse number 19. This is what Jesus said to that maniac of Gadara that he had had compassion on and done so many things, cast out, I mean, a legion of devils. Thousands of devils were cast out of him. He was rescued from nakedness and madness and cutting himself. You know, there are people today, young people today, who cut themselves. You know what? That's a very demonic thing. It's, there's nothing new about that. I didn't know of anybody doing that when I was a kid. But it's not a new thing. It's been around and it's associated with devil spirits. Anytime that something is saying within you that you need to harm yourself, it doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. It comes from an evil spirit. And Jesus comes along and here's a, here's a guy that tried everything. I guarantee you they put him uh, they put him through every class they could. They took him to every psychologist. They tried every medication. They tried every therapy. And nothing could. They put chains on him and he would burst the chains asunder with supernatural wickedness. You can't find someone who's in worse condition than this maniac of Gadara. But Jesus made a special trip across that lake just to see him. You know, when after he cast those devils out into the swine and all of that goes on, what did he do? He got back in the ship and went back over. That's all he did. He went all the way across that sea because he knew that there was somebody there that needed him. This man came to Jesus and he said, Lord, let me go back with you. I don't want to, I don't want you to leave me. Stay with me. Let me go with you. And here's what the Lord said. He said in Mark 5, 19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Folks, Jesus cares about you. He will not grant you your every wish, but he will meet your most important need. If he has done that for you today, then why not do what he said? If he's shown compassion on you, why not go and tell others what great things that he has done for you? He is worthy. No one has more compassion than Jesus Christ. No one understands like Jesus Christ. No one is more worthy of our praise, our love, our adoration, to brag on Him. And what a joy it's been here today to be able to brag on the compassion of Jesus Christ. If you've never experienced the compassion of His salvation, I promise you that what He has done for the blind man and the leper and the dead and all of those things, your spiritual need for salvation, if you will, by faith, trust Him here today. He'll meet that need. He'll save you right here and right now.